two of a series on Galatians. And uh, I think I told y'all last week, I was going a different direction altogether and just felt the Lord speaking to me about doing something different and really didn't even know what that was until Saturday morning. And uh, I had other sermons ready and lined up to go and then it was just kind of like, no, don't do that. And I'm like, okay, help me, Lord, let's get it. And so he kind of dropped this into my heart and we were set up that in, in in July, all of the other staff members were going to preach on prayers of the Old Testament. So when I came in the office Monday, they all kind of got with me and like, hey, we want to do Galatians 2 with you and keep that going. And we'll do prayers of the Old Testament later. So we're actually going to go about 12 weeks on the book of Galatians. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Galatians gives us this story. It's all about Jesus. You know, we, we, we've grown up singing these songs, at least I have, and many of you have too. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus doesn't need any help to make us fulfilled. He is our sufficiency. Now, thankfully, there are other blessings that come along the way and other things that he gives to us, but my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus. Yeah, his work on the cross, his righteous life, that is where our foundation is. And we must continually go back to that foundation of faith, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This book of Galatians was written around 50 AD. It's the oldest of Paul's letters, many scholars believe. Uh, and during the time Paul wrote this letter because there were Jewish, there were leaders there who were teaching that salvation required adherence to Jewish rituals. They were adding to the gospel. Now, I'll talk more about it later in the series. The first two chapters, and we're still in chapter one today, the first two chapters are really what I would call a defense of Paul's ministry. He begins to say that, in a defense of the gospel more accurately even, he begins to, to describe to them how that they have gone the wrong way in their process and everything is fouled up because of that. Then as you go through the chapter, he'll give more of the, the turn to the right direction. So here in chapter one, he addresses some of the things that are being talked about and tells them that there is nothing needed to be added to the gospel for salvation. Now, you, you'll be able to see clearly today what I'm talking about, how it applies to us, because grace, the gospel, is the strongest proponent for holy living. It empowers, it directs, and the, the truth of the matter is, most of us, most of us in the room would like to have more willpower. And if willpower was enough to get everything right, Jesus didn't need to go to the cross. But our willpower is not enough. Some of us experienced that even this morning with all the bacon that was in there. I think RJ told me there were, I think he said at least 600 strips of bacon. Key word being were. I was looking forward to a bacon, lettuce, tomato sandwich later and not going to happen, at least not from that bacon. Krispy Kreme donuts, they just keep calling my name. 
And all the things that were in there, we had a good time. About 150 guys in there this morning. We had a great time and great conversations, great fellowship. But the reality is our good works are never enough. Our good intentions are never enough. Our willpower is never enough. We have to receive the grace of God. The gospel teaches that we are saved by grace You can't get good enough. You don't have to get good enough. You come just as you are. Now, who could write this more accurately than Paul? We forget. We forget. We just like, oh, Paul the apostle, great man of God. They were scared to death of this guy. Paul the apostle, the the, the jerk. Actually, was Saul of Tarsus at that point in time. Paul the apostle is a good guy, but Saul of Tarsus, not so much. He was, he was a murderer, a blasphemer, and he did it all thinking that he was right. Wow. Defending what he thought was truth, he was ruthless. The, the words, he, one of the words over in, in the book of Acts, it says he created havoc. Anybody that's ever had a three-year-old, you know what havoc looks like. He created havoc on the church. We were saved by grace, we're kept by grace, and we are transformed by grace. Grace doesn't come into your life to give you a pass to sin. Please hear this. If you want to write a phrase down that's not in your notes, here it is. Grace never leads us towards sin. It always leads us away from sin. And if you've got the mindset, well, I got grace so I can do anything I want to, you don't have grace. You have bewitched yourself, I'm going to a later chapter, later part in the book here, into thinking that somehow you got to pass. Do you know why, you know why grace leads us to holiness? Because holiness is the way to true joy. Sinfulness leads to death and disappointment along the way. Sinfulness brings, brings guilt Sinfulness puts us in a place of feeling that that we are worthless, but the gospel tells us that we are worth the death of Jesus Christ. That's what God paid for us to redeem us. Grace brings liberty, but legalism brings bondage. Grace is the central theme of the gospel, and grace is the undeserved favor and gifts of God upon those who will receive it. So in the passage we're going to look at this morning, I've got the different sections of Scripture with each point, so you can just see it right there, easy with it. We're reading from Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 through 24, and the first thing I want to tell you is this, four things this morning. Number one, a divine encounter is the basis of the gospel. You've got to meet God. It's not in saying a prayer, it's not in coming to the front, it's not in staying at your seat, it's not in some formula of activity. There has to be something that happens where you meet God. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preached is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. The foundation of your faith must be divine in nature. We do believe in the value of experience. Now, experiences can be wrong. Experiences can lead you to having the wrong uh, uh, 
the wrong understanding because of it to the wrong conclusion because of it. But a divine encounter is the basis of the gospel and faith must be based in that divine nature. Human logic is flawed by human perspective. Here's the reality. No matter how much you know, you don't know everything. No matter how much all the experts know, they don't know everything. Human logic is flawed by human perspective. What I do know goes through the filter or the lens of my experiences, my perception, and is limited to that alone. Now, I can extend out by reading and talking to other people and trying to hear what they're talking about, but the truth is the only thing I know for sure is what I have seen and what I have experienced. Everything else is by secondhand knowledge, and that is always suspect. Because when push comes to shove, if I wind up with a different experience or a different observation, I'm going to put more faith in that than what somebody else told me. We've got to get understanding that comes from God. The gospel is not based on mere human reasoning. God wants you to be a person without, without equal, which results from a revelation of Christ. Now, I'm talking about a man without equal, and of course, all of us real quick go, yeah, that's Paul. He's the guy. Nobody else like him. He was incredible. Wrote half the New Testament books. He, you know, had the, had the experience of the encounter where he got knocked off the donkey on the road to Damascus. I mean, incredible stuff. What a guy. Unbelievable. But here's what I want you to hear today. God wants each one of us to be a person without equal. He designed you, created you to fit where you are, when you are, exactly for this moment. And there is no one like you. I, you maybe have done this before, but I, I Googled, a few, it's been a while back, a couple of years ago more or so probably, but all I could find, how many Bruce McCarty's are in the world there's like 15 of us, maybe, I think, if I remember right. It wasn't very many. Number one, the name Bruce. It's an awesome name. You got Batman. You got, you got, you got the, the guy that was the guy that started off all the martial art and all of the, 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 the Asian fighting stuff called Bruce Lee. It's a good name, but people aren't using it much anymore. So it's not, not a bunch of them around. And McCarty, it's a good name. I didn't know until a few years ago the prefix MC means in, 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 uh, in I guess, Irish or Scottish, it means son of, like just like at the back of our names when we say uh, Johnson, for example, son of John. McCarty means son of Cardi, but I don't know who even Cardi is, so whatever that means exactly. And there aren't a lot of us around, but it wouldn't matter if there were a hundred or a thousand or a million, I'm the only one that's me. And there may be somebody with your name, but you're the only you. That's by God's divine purpose. He wants you to be a person without equal, not comparing to anybody else, but be the person he designed you to be. It may be somebody like the Apostle Paul, who had a very significant, you know, who had the spotlight of life on him, or it may be somebody else that we don't even know their name in the Bible. Every unknown person in the Bible that's male, I think their name was Bruce. I'm just kind of sticking with that truth. Divine encounter is based upon knowing God and uh, having a revelation of Christ. God gives to all who ask 
with a sincere heart. So if you haven't had a divine revelation, it's not merely going through the motions. It's not responding to an invitation. It's meeting God that is the key. And if you don't know if that's ever happened in your life or not, that you've had that encounter with God, here's what Matthew 7 says, verse 7 through 11. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Did you hear that? Everybody who asks receives. Now we often shortcut these promises of God into thinking we've got the, 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 the eight ball of heaven. You guys remember the magic eight ball? That little eight ball thing you'd flip, you'd ask a question, flip it over and it'd rotate around and came up some weird answer that never really corresponded to your question anyway. Or say try again or something like that. We think we've figured out this quick way to get what we want God to do for us today. That's not what it's about at all. But it's about asking and allowing God to work in our lives with a sincere heart. Keep on asking, you'll receive. Keep on seeking, you'll find. Keep on knocking, the door will be open. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. To everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So first of all, a divine encounter is the basis of the gospel. How does the gospel work? It works when we encounter God and he is revealed to us. Secondly, a direct revelation of Jesus brings transformation. It's not only the basis of the gospel, but it is the catalyst for a transformed life. Galatians 1, 13 and 14. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow, fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. Paul had been an enraged man who sought to destroy the church. So two things about his life. Number one, he hated the church. Number two, he loved tradition. So anything which was Jesus Christ, all of his followers, anything that, that, that did not line up with his expectation, he was, was furious about. He had helped instigate the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 8. He had devoted himself to justification through works. Read in Philippians later on sometime, Philippians chapter 3, where he talks about all of the things that he had done, how he had been better than any other Jew. He was the best of the best. And he was talking about justifying, being justified through works, not faith, which is self-righteousness. A direct revelation of God will bring transformation Paul was, was changed in his life. Spiritual growth, third thing, is a personal journey. Galatians 1, 15 through the first part of 17. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. What a verse. Do you know that, that, that God's not hiding away from you somewhere? And if you get lucky enough, you might stumble on him. God is putting himself out there for you to see. Matter of fact, the Bible says this, even the heavens declare the glory of God. Do you know how far you have to look to, to see that, that God is real? Just the end of your nose. His presence is in everything that goes on. 
I'm not trying to open a can of worms here and stir up big debates about this stuff or whatever, but, but give me a serious theory of how man came into being without a creator. Because I'm going to keep taking your serious explanation back to the beginning point. I said, but where did that come from? Where did life come from? Where did, how did that happen? Well, it was just energy. I don't know about you, but I think energy kills more than it brings life. Get zapped by a, a bolt of lightning and you're not going to be real pleased with the result of that. Ever put your hand in a, on a fork that's in the electrical socket? What was the fork doing there to begin with, right? Now, I, I, I'm trying to make a, a point kind of lightheartedly here, but I want you to understand the reality of this. Creation demands a creator. I don't have it all figured out. I'm not trying to come up here like, listen to my brilliance and all of the theories of life and all of that, but here's what I do know. The fact that there is life points back to a source of life, and the best option I got for understanding that is God, and I haven't even heard a good second option from anybody. You can have all kind of theories about all kind of things, but the, 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 the deal is this. God knew you before you were born. He chose you, and he called you by his marvelous grace. You say, well, that's what Paul was saying. It's true for every child of God. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Spiritual life begins with the awareness that God has chosen you. You have to understand this, that God is not some prize that you capture, but God is a friend who is calling you, who is, is, is reaching toward you before you were ever reaching for him. That's for all of us. Sometimes we're not sure if God accepts us or if he loves us or even if he likes us. Let me tell you something. God was calling you before you even knew he was calling you. His desire to see you become his child is overwhelming. Spiritual life begins with the merits that God's chosen you. God delights in revealing Jesus to you and in you. When you look at the original Greek language there, it, it, it says to reveal his son to me, but it could also be translated and probably more accurately to reveal his son in me. It's not just a matter of you getting an experience of knowledge, but it's an experience of relationship. God is revealing his son in you so that, how do you know if you, the son's been revealed in you? So that you're proclaiming the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. God's purpose for this is so that you'll proclaim the good news. Here's what I'm saying, bottom line. If you are a Christian, you have a ministry. Right where you are. You don't have to work it up. You don't have to try to make it bigger than it really is. You don't have to try to downplay it. You just do what you're doing. Be the best best worker that you can be. Be the best boss that you can be. be. Be the best father you can be. Be the best mother that you can be. Be the best neighbor that you can be. 
be the best friend, best family member, all of these things. It is essential for the church to do the work God has given us that it doesn't hinge upon one hour a week or upon 15 people in a worship team, but it's every person in the building saying, God called me and revealed his son in me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Who is it that God wants you to reach out to? Now, now this is, is somewhat interesting, and, and you could go too far with this and miss the point, but I hope you'll, you'll track with me real quick here. This encounter with God is not something you can get from anybody else. I can't give it to you. I can pray with you, but it is divine in nature. It is not human in origin, and so when you have this encounter with God, here's what Paul says. When, when, I, when, I, when this happened, when I, I recognized this, when I had the encounter with God, I didn't have to go ask a bunch of people, can you tell me more about this? You see, sometimes we get in our own way. Get out of your own way. Let God's Spirit speak to you. Cultivate that process, that path, Rather, and, and, and if you need help of understanding, please get help. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but sometimes I think we short circuit God speaking to us because we want to ask 14 other people, what do they think about our situation? The Bible's clear. Getting good advice is important, an important strategy of life, but get the word from God first. You know what I've discovered? When I try to get my wisdom from people, no matter how good they are and how gifted they are, a lot of times they'll have different ideas. And I don't mean different complementary ideas. I mean different conflicting ideas. How do you work that out? You hear from God first. And that becomes kind of the, the benchmark. Where do you hear from God? Well, for us now, we've got, a, we got one leg up on the Galatians because we got the Bible. They didn't have that. They had part of it. They didn't have the New Testament. We've got all of it. We get, we get our understanding from the Word of God. We get our understanding in prayer, talking to God. We grow in these, these things, and we hear from God. We learn from Him before we get consulting with a bunch of other people. You know, when someone comes to talk to me and they say, Hey, Pastor, I've been praying about this, and this is what I feel the Lord is saying to me, the discussion really is energized at that moment right there. Sometimes they're asking me what I think they ought to do, and sometimes just being very candid and very honest, I don't have a clue because I'm not God. And I normally, in those moments, I try not to make snap decisions anyway unless it's an emergency or critical. I say, well, I need some time to pray about this and process it. How many of you know that that's what God wants all of us to do in life is to let him speak to us on a daily basis through the word of God, through prayer, to hear from him because spiritual growth is a personal journey. And the protection from error in regard to this is two things, a personal relationship with God and personal revelation from him. Now, now, now here's where it's gotten into abuse with some people. I want to be real clear to address this issue that sometimes people put personal revelation above everything else. And your personal revelation can be way off base if it's not truly coming from God. If the revelation's coming because you cooked up a scheme or because you ate too much pizza or whatever else happened in your life, 
it's going to be flawed. And, and notice here, Paul is not saying never consult with anybody because later on you'll see him going talking to Peter in just a minute here. But he's saying before any of that happened, I needed to know what God was saying to me. How many of you believe that God still speaks today? Just say amen. How many of you believe God wants to speak to you personally? Say amen. He does. He does. And it's not going to be some weird, wild, crazy thing he's telling you to do. It's going to be leading you in a path that is right before you that you'll understand the presence of God connected to it and as part of it. This, the protection from getting out of bounds or getting weird with this consulting with God is have a relationship with him, have a re- revelation from him, and let it start in the word of God. And listen to people once you know where you're going and what you're doing. The fourth thing I want you to see in this passage here is this, is God wants you to uniquely proclaim the gospel. Galatians 1, 17b through 24. Uh, he said, I didn't consult any of those people, but instead I went away into Arabia. If you've got the notes right there on the notes, I don't think they have it on the, the screen or on the slides. If they might, if you do, throw it up on the, there if you got it. If you don't, no problem. He talks about four places here. He said, I went into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. And three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met during that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I'm writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia, and still the Christians in the churches in Judea did not know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. Let me get through this passage real quick with you. You can study it and read it later on your own. But it talks about four places he went and then a result that's not in your notes, but I'll I'll make it the summation of this. He says, first of all, after I had this encounter with God and received the the gospel uh, and understand the reality of it, I went away into Arabia. So if you look on the little map I put there beside you, the words Jerusalem's really, really long and big because it'd be small if it was in proportion the size of the city it's actually where the dot is it doesn't extend all the way across Damascus is north of there about 136 miles or so and just south of Damascus is Arabia Um, and and there's a valley there and there's a place there where uh, probably it was away from everybody in the flow of life it was a little bit out in the country so to speak in our terminology and he went there, and, and it doesn't say clearly this process, but either there or in Damascus, he was three years in what most people would call doing nothing. He had this revelation from God, and the first thing he did was he took three years off. Most people get their sabbatical after seven years is what sabbatical is supposed to be in the seventh year or, or later. He started off with it. Just had this revelation from God. Now, I'm going to spend three years doing nothing. Well, he wasn't doing nothing. I was talking with Josh Wagner about this before church this morning, and he shared a thought that's it's really interesting, and we can't prove it, but it sure makes a lot of sense. You know, the other apostles, they were with Jesus when he was in ministry. For how long? Three years. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. I think probably that three-year period was needed 
that as he went about the daily activities of life, whatever, the Lord was revealing things to his heart. God was speaking things to his life. And the transformation from Saul of Tarsus to the Apostle Paul occurred over this three-year period. But there's, there's so many application points there. Isn't it amazing how we want God to be the God of the now? I, you know, I, if, if, if I could name a church and what I named it would be true, I would call it the church of the immediate. And our, thought, our theology and philosophy would be God always does it immediately. We would love the book of Mark. <laughs> if you don't know the Bible, that just went shoo, right over your head. Mark's the short book and the word immediately is in there a lot. Peter told Mark, and Mark didn't want to get as detailed maybe as Matthew or Luke or John, and everything is, and immediately they were healed. And immediately this happened, immediately that happened. Well, God does immediate things, praise God, but he also does process things. Sometimes God's taking you on a journey that, that, that we wish we could like snap our fingers, and immediately it would happen. But the reality, God is concerned about the development of who you are. He's letting you walk through things, go through things, sometimes because he's building something in you. And I know what you're thinking. Same thing, I think, God, I'm pretty good right now. Don't build any more in me. But God's wisdom is beyond ours. So for three years, Paul was there in Arabia. This is a beautiful example of devotion to spiritual growth. Being steady. You know, Paul writes, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this great passage on resurrection and what it's all about. And when he gets to the, the end of it, he says, therefore. Now, therefore always means whatever I've just said, here's the conclusion out of this. And he talks about, he talks about resurrection and how we're going to be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And then he gets to the end of the chapter and by the way, when he wrote it, they didn't have chapters. But he gets to the end of that section of talking about there. And he says, therefore, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, God tells us this so many places in Scripture and demonstrates it, that faithfulness to God is a key to seeing the hand of God in work. Paul goes to Arabia three years, possibly devotion and spiritual growth. Then after that, it tells us he went to Damascus. Now, Damascus, you remember Damascus, that's where he was going when God knocked him off in the, into the road, and he couldn't see. What was he going to Damascus to do? Kill Christians. So the first thing God says after training him, discipling him, schooling him for three years, says God says, now go back to where you were going to kill people with a different message with a different purpose. And he goes back, instead of killing Christians, he's encouraging them. What a beautiful picture of restitution. Taking what was stolen and repaying that back. The fear that he had placed in their hearts, the terror that he had spread, because he wasn't coming in as a nice guy going, well, let's talk about this. He was coming in bringing havoc and destruction. It said here in the verse we read a while ago, his goal was to destroy the church. But now he comes back and instead of bringing destruction, instead of bringing devastation, he's now bringing hope and encouragement. Then from there he goes to Jerusalem about 136 miles southwest of Damascus. 
Now this, this was a bad place to go for him. Number one, the Christians at this point in time, you can read this back over in the book of Acts after his conversion and after, when he comes back, they're all very suspicious. Nobody wants to touch him. They're like, does he know where we live? No, good, keep it that way. You know, does he know where we are? No, good, keep it that way. Nobody wants to see Paul. They think he's, he's probably trying to trick them and he's gonna kill all of them. Nobody, none of the Christians wanna see him. Worse than that, all of the Jewish leaders want to kill him because now he's one of those guys. It reminds me of the story I remember my dad telling years and years and years ago about the, the guy in the, during the time of the Civil War. He didn't want to take either side, so he put on the, the jacket of the Union Army and the pants of the Confederate Army, and he got shot in both places by both sides. Paul is marching back in. Nobody's sure which side he's on, really. But they're both shooting at him, keep him away, get rid of him. What a picture of courage. And then from there, the last place we see him going in this passage, he went back to uh, the provinces of Syria and Cilicia, which happens to be where the city of Tarsus is. You remember he's called Saul of Tarsus. He goes back to his hometown where people know him, where people know his whole background, his whole story. What a testimony of transformation. Are you sure you're the same guy? Because that guy, he was trying to kill everybody. You're preaching this gospel that's good news. Now here's what I want to tell you today. It's one thing to look at Paul's life and feel like, well, that's a nice little story, Pastor. I'm glad you told us that on Father's Day. This great man, really cool. If that's all we get, we miss the point. Because God wants every one of us to have this same kind of life. Isn't it amazing that in all of creation, God's ability to create uniqueness is amazing. They tell us no two snowflakes look alike. I don't know how they know that if they've examined all of them, but somehow... They know. It's amazing when you're, you're out somewhere in the wilderness, in the, in the woods, or maybe over in a jungle somewhere, and you see all the animals, and, and you don't know. You couldn't tell them apart if you had to, but the cubs know which one's their mom. They see that. And, and so it may not look that different from your perspective, but God has designed you with incredible devotion of uniqueness to be the best you that you can be. And I pray that it's said of you and I pray that it's said of me that we did the best we could at being who God created us to be. Aren't you glad we don't all have to be alike? Some of you right now, you're looking at somebody in the room going, I'm glad I'm not like that. that, that it's okay. But God wants to do something unique. And it all starts with a personal encounter with God. 
It's not going to happen because somebody laid their hands on you. That's a biblical pattern. It's part of the process. But, but that's, that symbolizes the reality of what's happening. It's not the person touching you. It's the revelation of God. It's the download into your heart of who he is. It's the gospel taking life in your heart where it's no longer just a book on a shelf or on a table somewhere, but it's living inside of you. God wants you to be, every man here today, God wants you to be a man without equal. He wants every woman to be a woman without equal. He wants you to be the best you that you can be. And that starts with the revelation of Jesus Christ and encounter with God. Would you bow your heads with me all across the room? If you're here today, you would say, I need to have that revelation. By the way, this isn't a one-time thing. It's something that happens on a regular basis. You'd say, Pastor, I need that in my heart. I've kind of lost the direction I need, and I need to hear God's voice. I need to hear His Word to me. I need to hear it for myself so that it's ingrained in my life. I need God's revelation for my life. Would you lift your hand all across the room if you need that? Maybe you're facing something in your future you're not sure about. You need that direction from God. Would you simply just raise your hand right now all across the room? Maybe you're kind of stumbling and having trouble finding your way. You need that revelation from God that will put you on the right path. Because David said in Psalm 23, he leads me in the right path. So, God, I need that voice so I can hear. How many would there be today? Pastor, that's what I need. I need that clear voice that gives me direction for life. God, I want to know you, not just your law, but I want to know you. I want to know you as your word reveals you to me. I want to know you. Lord, I pray today that we would all have this personal encounter that would transform us into the people that you want us to be. Not just who we are, but who we are through your power.